it's just pure devastation. It's a lot of it just didn't feel real. I remember kneeling on the carpet with my mom and both of us just praying so fervently while the paramedics were working on him and just praying, Dear Heavenly Father, we need to keep him. We need him. Please let us keep him. And I just believed so fervently. I don't think truly understanding how faith actually works and how prayer actually works, but just believing that if I prayed hard enough, that he would live. Time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and so grateful to have you here with us. If this is your first episode, be sure that you find us on all the social medias that you would find us, that being all of them, at The Cultural Hall. Am I being too vague? Let's be more specific. Places like Twitter. You can find us on Pinterest. You can find us on Instagram and also on Facebook, always at The Cultural Hall. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. Thank you to the many of you who are giving your financial dollars to make sure that the show continues to exist. I encourage you that as you look at your year of giving, Maybe there's a little room you could squeeze something out for us. We would love for you to do so. It helps you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints hang out. Uh, love for you to show your support that way. And as always, you can email us any sort of questions, comments, anything that you would like to correspond with The Cultural Hall at contact at theculturalhall.com. Now, let us get to this very important episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. I'm joined in this episode by Gabrielle Shiozawa, uh, where likely we will talk about uh, grief, we will talk about healing, and we'll get an opportunity to get to know Gabrielle a little bit. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I have to know, first of all, are you ever a Gabby or is it always formal Gabrielle? It's always Gabrielle. You, you, do you hate the Gabby? Have people tried the Gabby in the past and they just won't do it? Yeah, I... People have tried. It just doesn't stick. Now, let me ask you this. Is it a, a family name, or where does Gabrielle come from? Um, It's just a name my dad picked because he really liked it. Okay, okay. Fair enough. Now, uh, Gabrielle is an author, uh, a writer, uh, and has recently penned a book uh, for Deseret Book. And so I'm excited to be able to chat with you, not only or specifically about the book, but about some of the lessons that we can learn from the book. It's called One Breath at a Time, Lessons on Grief and Growth. And I know for some people, they go, wow, this is not necessarily going to be a light episode of the Culture Hall. I think there will be some depth and some heaviness, but I hope also, too, there can be some hope and some healing from our conversation today. Absolutely. I hope so. So give me an idea a little bit about uh, about who you are, about uh, how old you are, what you do, all, all that. Give me some background information. All right. I'm 20 years old. I'm attending BYU right now in Provo, and I'm a junior studying journalism with a minor in creative writing. I grew up outside of Vegas in a small town called Moapa Valley. And I'm passionate about writing and creativity and sharing stories that can uplift and help people. So someone would hear that and go, wow, first of all, she's already penned a book by the age of 20. But then also I think that there would be some cynic among, uh, among us that would say something like, what could she possibly know about grief just being 20 years old? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something I worried about, too, going into sharing my story, but I've been really buoyed by 
responses I've gotten from people of all ages because a lot of my story does touch on such universal principles as not only grief, but also answering hard gospel questions and dealing with unknowns and learning how to rely on people and just a lot of really good spiritual topics that anybody needs to talk about. For sure. So, so take us back a little bit. What, what, is, it, what is your particular experience uh, with grief, hope, and healing? Um, three weeks before I was supposed to graduate from high school in May 2019, um, my dad unexpectedly had a heart attack and passed away in our living room hmm. um, right after I'd taken him for a run. And it was completely unexpected. It was devastating. I have a brother that was on a mission at the time and was supposed to come home in two months. My mom was a widow suddenly with one kid that was in diapers at age two and another that was eight years old. Um, It was just a really tumultuous and difficult time for so many reasons. Um, But it was one of those heartbreaking spiritual experiences that allowed us to grow in unprecedented ways and to really connect with people and really changed, I think, the outlook and the course of our lives. Press pause on the story right there and give me an idea a a little bit about who your dad was. Um, My dad, his name is Troy, and he's just a sweetheart. He's a wonderful leader and a great friend. He served as a bishop for a long time and was actually released just a few months and was serving as a stake high counselor when he passed away. He worked in human resources at a construction company in Las Vegas for close to 25 years, I believe, um, and was just really a pillar in the community and someone that really people could look look up to and trust. And I really respect and admire him, and I love him. And, and it's amazing because I think that everyone within your story can sort of picture that for themselves, whether they've lost their, their father or their mother or the just the idea, the thought of the loss of that particular individual within their life can kind of, I, I feel like, uh, have that empathetic experience to go, what would that be like or what was that like for me? So so now let's expand that a little bit more. You had just gone, gone on a run and now this person that you look to as a leader uh, that the community respected who you know guided your home along with your mom is then no longer with you. What What is that like? What was the challenge? Give me an idea of, of some of those feelings right there in the moment. It's just pure devastation. It's A lot of it just didn't feel real. I remember kneeling on the carpet with my mom and both of us just praying so fervently while the paramedics were working on him and just praying, Dear Heavenly Father, we need to keep him. We Mm. need him. Mm. Please let us keep him. And I just believed so fervently. I don't think truly understanding how faith actually works and how prayer actually works, but just believing that if I prayed hard enough, that he would live. And just that devastation, the post-trauma of of losing him, the adjustments, it really changed everything about our lives. 
So, so walk me into that because I think we've all sort of had the, that moment where if it's not the, the, the losing of a loved one, it's the, you know, the thing at work or the, the, uh, you know, the relationship that might be ending where we, we sort of pray and we ask for those things with faith and good intentions, right? To be able to, to ask for those things and to really, really have the desire and then not have it be the way that we work out or the way that we wanted it to work out. Was there ever any sort of question or, like, anger towards God? There were absolutely questions, um, and there has been anger at some points. I think more than anything, I've tried to keep an open conversation with him. A lot of—I think a lot of my prayers, especially at the beginning, were just in shock, you know, not even angry yet at that point, but just saying, I love you, Heavenly Father, but I don't understand how you could possibly let this happen. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so then, I think there are a lot of things like that that we grieve in our lives, like you were saying, um, losing a job, lose, the loss of a relationship. There are so many ways that we process grief in our lives that we don't necessarily talk about. I've had, talked to a few people that were going through breakups as they read my book, and they said it's not the same thing, but I definitely felt similar feelings and similar ways of healing as they went through my story. So you talk about keeping an open conversation with uh, with God, uh, which sort of allows it this sort of uh, flux or flow, right? That it can be questioning, and then it can go into anger, and then it can just be sadness. Give me an idea of what uh, what keeping that open conversation has benefited to you. I think it has been so essential for me, even when I don't understand, to work on keeping that connection with God and not slamming the door even when I'm upset, because I truly believe that it's God who is constant and us and our circumstances that are not constant. Hmm. So I think even allowing myself to be angry sometimes, allowing myself not to understand, having patience with myself and having enough patience to keep talking to God even when I don't see the results immediately, I think that's been really really powerful. Do you think that that's unique? I don't think everyone uh, has is able to have the kind of spiritual fortitude to be able to be angry and still, you know, dwell in the places that they feel like God should have them be. I, I think that's a great point, and I don't want to try to sound like I'm better than anybody else or that I'm stronger than anybody else. Sure. It's been something I've had to work through in a lot of other trials in my life, too. There have been times when I've been angry and just slammed the door. I think that's been a process that I've had to come to learn that some of these trials are just so difficult that you really cannot do them alone, and you can't even do them with just earthly help. You really need God, and I think that's what some of when you reach that breaking point you realize more than ever how much you need your Heavenly Father. So I think, to me, that's sort of the crux of this conversation, is that idea, that process that we can be able to go through when hard things happen, because they will. Spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, you know, those that those things will happen. How, what is the process like that we can go from slamming the door, I don't want to hear it, man, leave me alone, right, that sort of teenager to their parent thing, um, that with our the interaction with our Heavenly Father, that we can then reopen the door. It's unique to me that the book is called One Breath at a Time. I would be curious to know a little bit about that title. Absolutely. Um, I'll be honest, it wasn't the original title I had planned for the book. Ooh, what was? What was? What was? <laughs> Um, I wanted it to be called Come What May. 
Okay. Um, based on the song, the, the hymn, um, and also because it was in May that it happened. Mm. Um, but I have grown to really love this title, and I'm really grateful it was chosen. Um, I think it's a recurring theme in the book that there were a lot of times when I felt like I couldn't take another step forward or when I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel or I couldn't even see the next step, you know, and you have to learn how to be present with that, with that grief and with that pain and to be patient with yourself and with the process of healing and to just be able to say, no, I'm going to take this one breath at a time. I don't have to have all the answers right now. I don't have to have all the healing done right now. I'm just going to let God lead me by the hand and move a tiny bit at a time because that's all I can handle. I want to take a break, and when we come back in the second block, I really want to get dive in deep to what this process may look like if people find themselves struggling. Maybe they are in that, uh, that uh, wallowing time or that angered time or just that apathetic time, how they can be able to work through the process towards healing. Uh, we'll do that coming back in the second block of The Cultural Hall. A lot of people think uh, of great ideas for podcasts, but fewer actually execute on those ideas. Have you had something that you've been lulling, mulling over, lulling over? That's been in the back of your mind is what I mean to say that you've been thinking about for a while and you're like, yeah, you know what? I might really want to do that as a podcast. Well, as it turns out, uh, in addition to doing this here show, I also do podcast consulting and teach a class that will help you take you from your idea to publishing. So if you want to reach out, there's all the ways to reach out to us at The Cultural Hall. You can send us a message or contact at theculturalhall.com. I would love to be able to speak to you about how we can make your idea for a podcast a reality. Again, contact at theculturalhall.com or you can find uh, The Cultural Hall on any social media at The Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you love YouTube and you want to help the Cultural Hall be a presence on YouTube, I would love it if you would email me, contact at theculturalhall.com. We have all of these back episodes and uh, recognizing that YouTube is a place where people spend hours, yay, days of their life in a year uh, we would love to be able to be more of a presence there, but we need your help if you would like to do that. It's uh, it's one of those blessings that uh, you volunteer a lot of time and you get blessings kind of thing. You can send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Put something like YouTube in the subject line, and I'll, I may very well be reaching out to you to help us be able to increase our presence there uh, on YouTube. I wonder how many times I can say YouTube in that. Uh, it's contact at theculturalhall.com. Gabrielle, let's dive into grief, uh, the process of it. Um, I think that everyone, you would probably say, everyone processes it differently, but there there is a process to grief. So, so walk us through that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, something I talk about in my book at one point is I compare the process of grief to going through a haunted house. I talk about how I don't feel like the five stages of grief that we talk about in such a linear fashion are very realistic. 
because it feels like a lot of the time it's denial, jumping in on anger, jumping in on acceptance, just that you go through cycles of emotion as you deal with things Mm -hmm. um, and that even sometimes new emotions will come up, new situations that you weren't anticipating. Um, You weren't anticipating how hard Father's Day was going to be. Um, And then there's another holiday or any other situation. Like, it's a lot of healing over time and being, and I think rolling with the punches is a lot of it. So if I'm hearing you right, the way that I that I, uh, I kind of understand grief, though I haven't had, uh, and I'm going to knock on wood because I know that it's coming, right? It happens to all of us that we will grieve those losses in our life. I haven't really had to deal with it too much in my life, but that we, we embrace it as I'm through step one of grief and now it will be step two and now it will be step three. And what you're saying is, is you can be at step one and step five of grief and, and back in three and over in four and around in two. That that seems um that seems to be i think why we struggle so much with the idea of being able to then be healed or healing through it because at any moment at any time you mentioned father's day obviously with the loss of your father that would be something that would be triggering to you but we can have these moments that can trigger us that come from nowhere that we don't anticipate and when we thought we were at step five and found our way through we find ourselves back at one uh, in this sort of denial or in the anger stage so so how Give us a little insight as to how we can, one breath at a time, find our way through it. I think a lot of it comes down to being patient with yourself and being patient with the process. Because there were lots of times when I would say, oh, it's already been X amount of months. Shouldn't I be doing better by now? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't I be feeling less pain by now? Or I can't believe that I just was triggered by that and struggled with that experience. I feel like I should have been better at that by now, or I feel like I should know how to do this. I think one statement I've learned from a therapist that has really carried me through a lot of this and through a lot of things in life is the expression, you don't have to be good at something that you've never done before. And I've had to apply that a lot with grief, because even if you've gone through a lot of loss and suffering in your life, mm-hmm. every grief is un, is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And being patient with yourself in that healing process is one of the most essential things. So from a very practical application, you find yourself being triggered by something. Do you say that saying out loud or in the very nuts and bolts of it? How do you deal with this? I think it depends because they're also very different. Okay. Um, the, Walk oh. one out for me, because I because I am curious and and hoping to give people an idea of something that maybe they haven't tried that works for somebody else. Absolutely. Okay. Um, one example that comes to mind is right after I'd come up to college with my brother. It'd been just a few months since we lost our dad. It was October 2019. We went to a concert up close to Salt Lake. And I remember that we're in the crowd, we're watching the screen and the singer, and the background screen kept changing pictures to match what the singer was singing about or different themes. Mm-hmm. And at one, at one point, a coffin came up, and just this rush came over me, just all all over again, remembering what my dad looked like in that coffin, something I hadn't thought about in quite some time, Mm. just picturing how different he looked after the mortician had worked on him and how 
scared and upset I was and how real it finally felt, you know, seeing him there in that coffin. All of that just came rushing back while I'm standing here in this concert, and I just felt sick. And I was like, no, this isn't going to ruin my day. This is, you know, what do I do with this? And I think what I had to do, and I talk about this a little in the book too, actually, this scenario, but I thought, no, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to remember him that way. I think he came to this concert venue when he was in college, so I'm going to picture him as if he's just jumping along here with us in the crowd and just having the time of his life. And so I pictured what I remember him looking like from pictures of his college days and just imagined that he was there with us um, and just thought about how much I loved him. And I think I gave validation to the hard feelings that I was going through, but I also chose that they weren't going to have control over me and that I was still going to remember him the way I wanted to. How much uh, does the like the plan of salvation or the gospel, as, we, as you uh, embrace this idea of healing, um, not only from you know the fact that you can be together with your dad, but also this this sort of reparation that we talk about within the gospel. How much does that play into your journey? A huge amount. I think that's one of the main reasons that I'm able to have hope, um, and one of the ways that I've been able to come to feel more peace is learning more and more about at least what we've come to know in the gospel about the afterlife, about the plan of salvation, about trusting that he's busy doing good work in the spirit world Mm -hmm. and trusting. There's this quote from Elder Eyring that I love. He talked about how some people come to him and they ask if their loved ones are good enough, if they're going to make it and they're worried about their loved one's salvation and him just saying, that God is a lot more forgiving than humans are, and that we don't have to worry about that. We are worrying about the wrong problem, because God is just so loving and forgiving that we can't even imagine. So I think a lot of that is holding on to hope and to faith through the plan of salvation and trusting God. Now, you mentioned, uh, at least through our conversation, I can, I've can i picked up that you've got uh, at least a brother that's pretty close to your age, and obviously your mom, and then some other siblings. I would be curious to know, uh, with as much as you'd be able to share, what their journey has been like, and how you've been able to walk with them in their grief path. Absolutely. I think, like you talked about earlier, something that's been difficult about that is that literally everyone processes grief differently. I think there are a lot of things that have been hard for our family to talk about and some that still are. Um, But being able to talk through things with my mom and see her perspective from that night has been really helpful. Um, I think she is such a pillar of strength and being able to watch the way that she has taken this as an opportunity, just that it was a blow for her Mm -hmm. as well, but that she's taken it as an opportunity to redefine her independence and to learn how to be a single mother and to just become so strong and resilient and that she has always relied on God. I think that was a wonderful example for me and part of the reason that I was able to keep that open relationship with God is because of the example she's set for me. So often we struggle to have these kind of conversations within our family, and it sounds like, you know, you being completely open have, at least in some avenues of this, had struggles to be able to do that with your family. How, how, when you have had 
uh, good conversations to be able to talk about the grief or the the hope or the healing that's come through this. How have you been able to kind of onboard those conversations? I think people struggle being able to figure out how how to even initiate it because sometimes the pain is too much. I think one way is just through how pure children are with my little brothers in particular. Just sometimes they'll say things like, wow, I really miss dad. Hmm. I really wish dad was here. Or I think my my brother that was eight at the time, he's almost 11 now, he has a really hard time with Father's Day. And I think that's very fair, but it's, you know, he feels a lot of anger and hurt when he has to watch all the other primary kids getting up to sing about their fathers on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that, though, is that kids give themselves permission to feel all those hard feelings. And I think watching him be open about struggling with that has been an example to us, too, and helped us to have some of those conversations. As members of the church, we're encouraged to mourn with those that mourn, and I think on a family basis, we do that pretty well. Uh, have there been anybody within, like, your, your ward family or your church family that have really shown up, and what have they done that has been helpful for you and for your family? Oh, absolutely. We were so helped and strengthened by our community family. Um, growing up in such a small community, especially one with such a strong church presence, there were people not only from our ward but from the entire state that just came and brought us meals and sat with us. And they served us in so many beautiful ways. You know, even if they couldn't heal our broken hearts, they they put balms on our wounds, I think, because they came and cared for our lawn and they cared for our cars and they came and sat with us and they babysat my little brothers so that my mom could have time for herself. So so often, though, I think that people struggle, right? And there were probably, you recognize that with people who wanted to reach out but just didn't know what to do um, when they recognize that someone in their life is grieving. How, how do we know what, what to do? How can we um, best help or, or be able to assess what the person needs? Yeah, that's such an important question. I think people are afraid to reach out a lot of the time, especially if they wonder, oh, am I close enough to that family to be able to reach out and have an influence on them? Or will it, Or will I just be bothering them? I think you don't have to walk on eggshells around people who are going through grief. I think that's important to remember. But also simply just showing up by sitting with people who are struggling or mourning and being present with them and I think that's a huge, huge gift. I think some of the most helpful times for me were people who literally just came over and just sat with me and just said, I'm here and I love you. Because even if they can't take away your pain, knowing that they're there and that they're sitting by you while you fight through that pain is more than, it's it's so good. I, I want to take another break, and uh, when I when we come back, rather, I want to uh, talk a little bit about what this has changed within you, and how m- maybe this is a, a guide or or a blessing, which sounds so weird to say for your life. But we'll maybe unwrap that and unpackage that a little bit. Coming up in the third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. I get a lot of emails from people all the time. Here's one. Dear Dan, I hear your talk about a lifetime service guarantee. Free? Really? 
Please help me avoid all your fine print and be honest about what free means. You understand that we should be very wary of a free offer signed skeptical. Hi, skeptical. I remember 22 years ago when we started PC laptops and our lifetime service guarantee, people thought it was too good to be true. Well, you know, after a decade, people started believing me a little bit. But you know, it's been 22 years of having the privilege to serve our friends and neighbors like you. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC laptops desktop computer for $7.99 with a lifetime warranty. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here's to seeing you soon, Skeptical. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, no video available for this episode. Uh, But if you are a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, you can go to uh, the Facebook page, that secret but not sacred Facebook page, and you can see videos of most episodes. Uh, You can also be able to uh, nerd out with other uh, either converts or lifers of the Cultural Hall and talk about your favorite parts of the episode or your favorite episodes or just uh, be able to go down tangential rabbit holes like we do on occasion, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Make that pledge. Get in. Get to be a part of that group. Gabrielle, uh, I would be curious because some people will say, and it always sounds weird uh, to me because maybe I just don't understand the full breadth or scope of it, but they say things like these, you know, the, these tragic uh, events can be blessings in their life. Do you say that? And if so, uh, how? How can that possibly be a blessing for your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, like you're saying, that's a very difficult juxtaposition because there's still that part of me, of course, that wishes more than anything that I could have my dad back and mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have had to go through any of this and that none of my family would have had to struggle like this and just that we miss him so badly. But I think looking for the good and looking for find ways to have hope in this kind of darkness, I think going through difficult trials like this is such a refiner and helps us become more and more like Christ. It gives us greater amounts of empathy and understanding for others. It gives us a greater overall perspective on life. It's, like I said, it's just such a refining process, and I feel like I learned so much, and are con- and I'm continuing to learn about what really matters in life and what kind of things I want my legacy to look like. I'm coming to understand how the atonement works better because I've had to rely on Jesus Christ so much to help me heal through this. I've come to understand and have greater faith in the plan of salvation. There are a lot of things that it were strengthened even as so many things broke. I think that I had to break in a lot of ways to be able to heal and to become better than I was. In a question that I hope is not too personal, but so many people, when we say the atonement, it it just becomes sort of this ethereal thing that we don't really understand or that we don't fully grasp or that people will reflect, you know, and I don't even understand the whole breadth of it. But when you talk about being able to be healed because of the atonement, what what do you mean by that? Or what does that look like? Or, Or how could others learn from your healing through the atonement? That's a great question. I think you're right that we do kind of talk about the atonement in the abstract. Actually, um, Elder Bednar just had a wonderful face-to-face devotional on Sunday, the, I think it was the 12th, mm-hmm. talking about, and he talked about this at one point, 
just that we can't talk about the atonement as if it's we can't forget that it's Christ who did the atonement. It's not just this ethereal thing. It's an act that he performed. And so I guess what I really mean when I say that the atonement has helped me heal, it's knowing my Savior has helped me heal because I've been able to see how he, well, how he mourned with Mary and Martha before he healed Lazarus. You know, he knew that Lazarus was going to live again. He knew that he was going to be able to heal him, but he still validated Mary and Martha's feelings and sat with them, and I think gave such a great example of ministering. But also just the things that he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, just knowing that there is so much purpose to our pain because he suffered through all of that and because he knows exactly what it's like. In a very literal way, your life would be completely different, I would suspect, if if that had not occurred with your father. In that, you would not have written a book about the grief of loss of your father if your father was still uh, with us. Um, I would be curious to note, have you seen the Lord's hand in your life since that time and, and maybe gained some understanding as to... As to a why, that big question that we always ask, like, why would this happen? What am I supposed to learn? Where do I go with this? I think there still are a lot of questions. There are still a lot of whys um, and uncertainties that are waiting to reveal themselves. And so I think I've been trying to be patient with that. But I've definitely seen it change my family. I've seen how much stronger we've gotten and how much closer together we are both physically and that everybody has moved up to Provo together, um, and, but also how close we are and how we celebrate together and mourn together. I would be curious to know, uh, you mentioned that you're, you're studying journalism at BYU. Uh, is this the type of thing that you hope to continue to write about, or, or what, what may we see from you in the future? I really appreciate that question. I've always wanted to go into journalism, and I've always wanted to be an author. I just never expected the stories that I was going to write about to be anything this personal or this devastating, Mm -hmm. or for this to be my first book, even. Um, I think that's one way that God's really revealed himself, is in the ways that I've been able to help so many people through my writing, and that's definitely something that I want to continue to keep doing and that I want to go on to write for church publications, hopefully, and to just keep inspiring people wherever I go. The The idea of writing and sharing a book, uh, I, I, I feel like um, in some ways is sort of a passive way of healing and helping people. Have there been very active one-on-one opportunities for you to help people um, be able to um, mourn their losses or grieve the death of someone? Yes, I think... The biggest thing is just helping people know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to connect with a few people that have lost loved ones, um, specifically in the last student ward that I was in last year. Mm-hmm. I talked to a girl who had just lost her dad, mm. um, and I've actually been wanting to meet with her again and talk with her more. But I think being able to be open to those conversations, I think... 
the biggest thing for me is that the book has opened up a lot of those conversations for me mm-hmm. and that I've had more and more opportunities to connect with people and talk with them on an individual basis, even after writing the book. I think it's so cool, uh, especially to know that, you know, at, at a young age and and that not young in experience, certainly, but just to age in general, chronological years, uh, to know that you've accomplished so much and been able to to do already so much and to look forward to be able to hear from you more in the future as you make that goal to, to write for church publications, etc. Uh, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I will ask those of you now. The first question is, Is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I don't currently have a calling. I just moved into a new ward, so I'm still waiting for a calling. Well, get the bishop on it, huh? Tell him, tell him, let's go. What are we waiting for? In fact, you know what? I'll make a phone call. I'll take care of it. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I think my favorite calling has been working as a Relief Society teacher. What in particular about being a Relief Society teacher is it that interests you? I loved being able to come up with lessons and feeling like I was being guided in certain directions to be able to start difficult conversations with the sisters. I remember we talk, we've talked about things like the topic of women and the priesthood or going through hard trials um, and just being able to have really great discussions with people and hopefully bring some light and some clarity into their lives. That's been really powerful for me. That's awesome. Uh, and then the last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I would ask you to interpret this however you may, uh, but the question remains is, what is your favorite part of your faith? I think my favorite part of my faith is just the overwhelming hope and joy that are such a big part of our religion and also of my personal testimony of Jesus Christ. We've been visiting with Gabrielle Shiazawa, who is the author of the book One Breath at a Time. It is published by the folks over at Deseret Book, which means if you go to Deseret Book and when you go to the checkout, if you use the code Richie, you can get 15% off the purchase of this book. So I encourage you to go check it out, uh, and we appreciate you being able to be with us today. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.